Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 9th. I am starting tonight's podcast at 9.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Why is that fact relevant to all of you listeners? It's because there are still matches going on on the grounds of Indian Wells, the 1,000-level event, the center of attention in the tennis world over the course of the next two weeks as so many of the top players in the world participate in the event. Now, I will be frank with all of you listeners to start today's show. I am a bit fatigued. We had a seven-hour broadcast today on ESPN Plus and the SEC Network showcasing all of the SEC men's tennis action happening throughout the conference. We have another broadcast on the books for tomorrow, and we will be on ESPN Plus and SEC Network work every Thursday and Friday for the remainder of SEC conference play. We also have ACC broadcasts on Friday and Sunday on ESPN Plus and the ACC Network. Big 10 broadcasts for all of you college tennis fan on Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Why is that fact relevant as well to all of you listeners? It's because I didn't want to wait till the ending of today's play to record today's show. I wanted to get a little bit of sleep so that I could be properly prepared, well-rested for tomorrow's broadcast. We're so excited to be able to shine a spotlight on some of the best college tennis that happens each and every season, of course, to be able to provide that spotlight via the ESPN Plus SEC Network, ACC Networks as well. I mean, it's just such a treat for us here at Cracked Rackets. And so we are very focused on that right now. But of course, If you think I'm not watching the action, monitoring everything happening at Indian Wells, you're crazy. I was done with our SEC broadcast tonight early enough to catch the entirety of Andy Murray's third set in a three-set thrilling victory over Tomas Martin Echeverri. Obviously, I want to talk about that match today. I want to talk about the wave of intriguing men's and women's results we've seen so far in round number one. Not just Murray, but, you know, players like Peyton Stearns, Linda Fruvertova on the women's side, on the men's side, obviously. The controversy surrounding Ebing Wu's 7 6 in the third victory over Munar, and, you know, again, countless other results we've seen unfold here so far through the first round of Indian Wells. I'll get into all of those thoughts, some scattered thoughts, I suppose, is the proper title. All scattered thoughts from the round one results we've seen thus far at Indian Wells, of course. I will have another broadcast for you all, excuse me, another podcast for you all tomorrow night. I will also have a Saturday podcast as we have no broadcast on that day. Not sure if I'll be able to record on Sunday, but we will do our best to provide coverage of each and every day of Indian Wells as not only do we enjoy this sunshine swing, but of course, it's a treat to have back-to-back 1,000-level events. This is when I know so many of you tennis fans are most locked in. So yes, we're busy here at Crack Rackets. We're excited to have so much going on. We're going to the Phoenix Challenger next week as well. Nevertheless, I know where so many of you will be focused on. That's the action at Indian Wells. That's our responsibility here at Crack Rackets to cover everything happening across levels in the tennis world. We will continue to try to do so. Of course, the reason we do that is because, again, we are so grateful for all of you listeners. And I've seen a couple of you already leave comments on Apple Podcasts. I would read them for you today, but I want to focus on Indian Wells. We'll have fun with all of your feedback, all of your thoughts. I appreciate all of you so kind, so funny as well. We appreciate the enthusiasm you show for what we're trying to do here at Crack Rackets. There's so much outstanding tennis happening each and every day in the tennis world. We try to shine a spotlight on all of it. Of course, if you miss out on anything, you can catch up on it all, whether it be on this show, 
the Great Shot Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast, the Breakpoint Show we do with Gil Gross, focusing on the Netflix docuseries, all of that content available wherever you listen to your podcast or on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, shout out to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point as well. Remember, for all of the latest and greatest equipment, go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15 when you're there. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. But best of all, you'll let them know we sent you there as well. We are so grateful for Tennis Point's support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, some scattered thoughts from the first round results we've seen so far at Indian Wells. Let's start on the women's side of things. Yes, I know the most notable result was Andy Murray's three-hour, three-set thriller over Tomas Martin Echeverry. We'll get to it. I promise we'll have timestamps in the description to this podcast in case you want to fast forward right to that. But in terms of round one upsets. It's tough to qualify the specific upsets because all of the 32 seeds at Indian Wells do get a bye into the round of 64. It's a fun event in that sense. It's a round of 128 draw, but of course, all the seeds rewarded with those buys. Now, are there unseeded players who would typically either A, B seeded, or you would expect to advance further than the round of 128 at this event who have lost already. Certainly, most notably, probably Danielle Collins knocked out four and four by the former world junior number one. And in this instance, lucky loser in the 24-year-old Delma Golfie. Look, Golfie moved the ball well around the court, but it was the same Danielle Collins we saw in Austin, extraordinarily streaky was Danielle Collins at Indian Wells. And I mean, first of all, it's a bit of a tangent, big picture. You watch 10 minutes of Indian Wells and you're like, oh yeah, the you know we can talk about it all year long. Until you see it, you forget just how slow, high bouncing these Indian Wells courts are. How if you don't have a definitive weapon, oh my God, A, you better be ready to grind. B, you got to make your first serve because second serves are going to sit up like patty cakes returners with how slow high bouncing these courts are. If you want to be extraordinarily defensive, you're guaranteed to get a clean look on the return of serve. And, you know, again, Del McGalfi worked the Danielle Collins serve, broke Collins five times, Collins served 10 times in the match. So again, 50% break percentage there. Collins wins just 32% of her second serve points, and she only made 55% of her first serves in the match. Again, Golfi breaks serve five times. Yes, she was broken three times, and it was a straight set match. Sure, Collins had plenty of clean rips on the backhand wing, but that gets to the streakiness. And I think that's what we've seen from Danielle Collins all year long. If you watched her play in Austin, even in making the semifinals there, you know, so streaky and losing the first set to Magdalena Freak. I thought she was so streaky in the first set she dropped against Anna Kalinskaya. And then obviously, I actually thought it was pretty solid tennis against Marta Kostyuk, but that's where the second serve issues continue to linger. Look, on this service in particular, second serves are going to get attacked. And Danielle Collins is just not serving particularly well right now. Tough loss for Collins. Huge win for Del McGolfi, uh, who, again, comes into this right off of her career high. She was number 80 entering the event. She's now up to number 76, new career high in the live rankings for the former world junior number one. And again, not every world junior number one goes on to be a pro number one, but Golfi can do things. Pretty high floor. She doesn't have the big weapons, but... 
I enjoy watching Del Magalfi play. She advances now. She is going to take on Caroline Garcia. That's a tough matchup. And boy, we're robbed of Collins Garcia round two. But I don't know how good that would have been given right now the state of Danielle Collins' serve. That's probably the biggest round one upset. You know, the most notable results I would say we've seen thus far players who are in the round of 128 who you would expect to be seated if they're the best versions of themselves. I think Marketa Von Drusova coming off of a year, obviously, where she was so injured. Two and two win over Rebecca Marino. You look for Von Drusova now. She's going to take on Marie Bushkova. Tennis Abstract has Von Drusova as a 59% chance of winning that match. test says it as well. Boy, on this surface... With how well she opens up angles, how well she moves forward, how well she works in the drop shot, how physically she can play. Keep your eye on Marketa Von Trusova. Would not shock me at all if she beats Bushkova round two, then goes on to beat Jabur in round number three as well. You know, players of that caliber, Katarina Sinyakova, a really fun five and four win over Julia Niemeyer. I mean, again, two players who do have weapons to hit through this court. Radakanu, impressive 2-3 and three win, particularly on this slow, high-bouncing surface over a player who's very successful on the clay courts, Indanka Kavinic. Bernardo Pera, much-needed three-set win. Serana Kirstea gets a straight-set win. Again, players of that caliber, uh, Shelby Rogers, three-set win over the inform Katie Volleynets. You know, the 30-50 to 50 range, they had a good day. Alexandra Sasnovich gets a good win uh, over Kaya Kanepi. Camilla Georgie returning to top form again. She gets a win over Aronk Sarus. Uh, good win, uh, Jill Teichman, a much-needed win over Ashlyn Kruger. You know, the t- the two other matches uh, I would point out, I guess a couple of other upstates, Wang Xinyu, a win over Elisa Mertens. Uh, but, you know, again, some some younger players, I suppose, having some success, you would point out. Linda Fruvertova, three-set win for the young Czech over Meyer Sharif. She has weapons to hit through this court, moves the ball so well. She's going to be fun to watch. And then Linda Noskova absolutely has weapons. For her to get a 7-6-6-1 win over a top 50 player in Arena Camilla Bagu, let's just remember now, you look over the last 52 weeks for the 18-year-old, 44-17 and 17 overall. You know, she's racked up now seven top 50 victories over her last 50 weeks, seven and four against the top 50. Following her victory today, you look for Noskova. She's up to number 52 in the live rankings for the 18-year-old Fruvertova, 17 years old. She's at 51. A couple of young checks to keep your eye on this weekend. You look for Fruvertova. She's going to take on Kalanina. That's a really fun one. You look for Noskova. She's going to take on Anisimova. Weapons galore in that second round match. That's the next generation, folks. That's rivalries. That's a pecking order match. Uh, Again, keep your eye on Anisimova Noskova. That might be my favorite match right now. Even better than Vondrosova Bozhkova in round number two. The other, Yastremska, a win. I should have mentioned her there. I'm sort of listing. I know I apologize, but I just want to get you all up to date. I suppose Elizabeth Mandelik, the young American, 7-6 in the third win over Ali Risk. Yes, that's an upset. I'm not sure to what extent. Blinkova, 1-2 win over Ann Lee. That's not an upset. Anlia has struggled of late. How about Anna Kalinskaya? She's had some really tough matches of late. She's had tough, you know, all the good players, right? Losses so far this year to Noskova, Bencic, Collins twice. Good win for her, one and one. Alicia Parks' outdoor struggles continue. And on a slow, high-bouncing outdoor court, it's going to be interesting to see how her serve translated, her aggression. You know, again... She had so much success, but it all came on indoor hard courts over those final few months of 2022 and the start of 2023. 
I think her weapons are real. Obviously, again, developing plan B, C, D, being a little bit less aggressive with her first strike, less aggressive from the baseline. These are all good things for, again, an Alicia Parks who, let's be clear, is what, 22 years old? Plenty of time to work into those things. And you can't you can't fake those weapons. But, you know, Kalinskaya, really well-rounded game. And, you know, again, Kalinskaya right now in the live rankings following her victory, she's sitting at number 63 as the 24-year-old. I don't think she's top 20 good, but she's going to be in the top 50 for a while. Moves the ball really well around the court. Really fluid in the outer thirds. No definitive weapon. Reminds me in the Tomjanovic style of things, where it's just rock solid on both wings. Keep an eye on on uh, Kalinskaya. She said, again, I think the matches I've seen her play, she's had a really solid start uh, to her season. You know, I didn't touch on everything, but those are the most notable results. The last one I got to touch on, Rebecca Peterson, 7-5-5-7-7-5, a war, but a victory. Three sets over Austin champion Marta Kostjuk. That's a disappointing loss for Kostjuk, certainly. I mean, again, that was a night match. Both players struggled so much to generate anything easily through the court. That match was just Indian Wells at its finest. And look, it's a tough loss for Kostyuk coming off of her first title, so you understand it. Obviously, you're hoping she can make a move in Miami because she's a fun player there. She's currently sitting at number 38 in the live rankings, a career high regardless of the loss today. Credit to Pet- uh, Peterson, who just, again— it was physical. I don't know what else to say. And you look for Rebecca Peterson, uh, 27 years old, still inside the top 100, currently sitting at number 93 following the victory, back inside the top 100 following the victory. She's in the mix as we move towards the clay court portion of the year. Again, that's a really good win for Peterson, who uh, I believe, yeah, came through qualifying as well, got wins over Simona Waltert, Caroline Dallahide. That's really your big update as it pertains to round number one. Oh, I forgot to mention Peyton Stearns, who earned a three-set victory over Rebecca Masarova. It was a great day for former NCAA singles champions. And in general, at this event, Mackie McDonald, a first-round win. Marcos Giron, a first-round win. Ben Shelton, a first-round win. We're going to get to all three of those in a moment. But Peyton Stearns, 51-16. and She's won 76% of her matches. Is she Ben Shelton in the top 50? No. But Peyton Stearns also turned pro in June, you know, and much like Ben Shelton, she's won 76% of her first 67 matches on tour. She's worked her way up to a new career high, number 116 in the live rankings. Masterova wanted no part of her forehand, and that's very much what we saw from Stearns during her two years at Texas. Her serve, her forehand, it's an elite combination. And the action she's able to generate on the fir- on the forehand, how well she gets outside the ball to create angles. She worked Masarova into the outer third on that deuce side. And then just, again, whether it was a cross-court backhand to the open spacer and on the rise down the line forehand, that combination is top 100 good. That's why Peyton Stearns has worked her way into the top, 100, uh, top 120. And, you know, again, 51 and 16 speaks for itself. College tennis, folks, it's real. Peyton Stearns, Emma Navarro's in action. She's taking on Katie McNally. That's a really fun first-round match I look forward to watching tonight once I'm done with this podcast. But, yeah, by the way, Carolina Mukova from a breakdown in the third, 6-4 in the third. She knocks out Putin's, uh, Putensiva. Again, I might brangle a straight set win over Siegemund. I know Ken and Stevens have yet to play. Navarro McNally still to come lose Shmidlova on court as I'm recording this, but... Nothing too shocking. That would be my scattered thought summary 
from the women's side of things so far at Indian Wells. It's going to be a shorter podcast. I apologize for that, but let's now flip gear to the men's side of things again. Have there been any notable results, notable upsets I feel the need to touch on from round number one? I suppose one could qualify uh, Wu-Tung Lin's straight set win over Sasha Bublik as an upset, and the qualifier from uh, Taipei entered the day 175 in the rankings. He had never gotten a top 50 victory with his result. Uh, He now moves up to a new career high ranking of, let's see, I want to get this correct. I apologize. Up to number 158 in the live rankings. But Bublik's been really bad over the course of the past few months. You look for Sasha Bublik now, 27 and 32 in his last 52 weeks. He has lost, uh, let's see, three, six, nine, 10. I apologize. This is great podcasting. Let's see. Four of 14. Wow. He has lost four, uh, four, uh, four of 14. Excuse me. He has lost 13 of his last 17 matches. It's not great. You look for Bublik now currently sitting at number 46 in the live rankings, has a wave of points to defend coming up. Uh, again, has to step up his game. Uh, certainly as we approach the summer months where obviously things get that much more tricky for him, uh, given the results he had last year. But yes, that qualifies as as an upset when you lose 13 of 17. I don't know how notable it is. I mean, again, I I think Martin Fucevic, three sets over J.J. Wolf. Maybe you qualify that as an upset. Wolf had certainly looked like a top 50 hardcore player over the last four months. And coming off of a second week at the Australian Open, that's a tough loss. At the same time, Fucevic is Fucevic, right? Such a tough physical task and on this surface in particular maybe you you favor him more than most uh tough loss there for wolf good win for fuchovic though more so in my opinion you know jan leonard struf over quinton halise for the nerds we'll consider that an upset but the big result of the day we got to talk about andy murray's three set victory i mean for andy murray to come through over tomas martin echeverry to drop in what 82-minute first set, 7-6, and ultimately, again, in the end, Andy Murray able to pull through. He pulls off the 6-7-6-1-6-4 victory over Echeverry. He's down, you know, 4-all, uh, or excuse me, he's down 3-4, love 40 in his service game, and, you know, he comes up with a couple of aces to close out the game. He comes up with a couple of big plus one shots to work his way out of the love 40 deficit. It was just the boldness of a Grand Slam champion, the boldness of a former world number one, and the epitome of what makes Andy Murray great. And again, looking at what Andy Murray has done throughout the course of this 2023 season, we alluded to this during his run earlier in February in Doha, but he's become the marathon man. Obviously, you go back to the Australian Open, five sets against Berrettini. That was, what, four hours, 49 minutes. He followed that up with a five-hour, 45-minute Five-set win over Kokonakis, then the four-hour, three-and-a-half-hour, uh, four-set, three-and-a-half-hour, excuse me, thriller against RBA. Three hours, 12 minutes today in his three-set win over Tomas Martin Echeverri. I mentioned the bold serving from Murray in that 3-4 service game, and again, he did come up with the goods. Ace-wide, ace-T, found all the different spots, played extraordinarily aggressive whenever he got a look at an inside-in or inside-out forehand from the ad side, moved forward well. There's also no doubt Echeverry fumbled the ball a little bit. I mean, to go down Love 40 as quickly as he did in his four-all service game after having that Love 40 opening, quick errors off of his racket, 
he managed to work his way back into a couple of deuces and had game point chances four five four, but then you know the double fault on four all add out to hand Murray the break. Look, Murray played a great closeout game, played aggressive down the stretch. Obviously, the ace wide to end it. Look, Tomas Martinetsver is coming off of a really good South American clay court stretch. Is a top seventy five guy right now. It's a tough loss for Echeverry to swallow, no doubt about that. But again, you look for Andy Murray, uh, just unbelievable, extraordinarily impressive. Uh, again, very, very impressed. Uh, I think I've said that word enough by what Murray's able, been able to accomplish. It's the physicality. He has fake hips. And I think more than anything else, it's interesting. On these slow, high-bouncing surfaces, this is actually perfect for Andy Murray because now he can swing through the court a little bit more freely. And you could tell he was a little bit more aggressive in stepping inside the baseline, excuse me, on that forehand wing. Great podcasting here tonight, Alex. Um, I, I just think for Murray, though, the most impressive part, and this is both impressive, I guess this is a backhanded compliment, he really doesn't have a big weapon right now. Like, yeah, he hit a couple of aces. He's placing his serve extraordinarily well. And, you know, looking at the statistics for Andy Murray tonight, he won 68% of his first serve points, fought off what uh, I think, or created 20 breakpoint chances for himself. The big thing to me for Andy Murray, again, is the physicality, is the fact that you know it's going to take 20 shots to grind through him each and every point that he continues to put together these three-plus-hour matches He's grinding opponents down, and dare I say, it's we're we're ending the storybook as we started it. This is vintage 2009, 2008 to 2011 Andy Murray. Just the physicality, the craft. You know, the difference now, he doesn't have the overwhelming weapon from the baseline, so he does move forward and volley extraordinarily well. It's so impressive what Andy Murray's managed to do. Again, as fit as he has been since any point, and since his first comeback, in my opinion, in 2019, and you know, he's 35 years old right now. Following his win, he's back up to number 55 in the live rankings. One more victory will get him up to 52. Two more wins, and I think he is back in the top 50. I mean, again, Andy Murray will get wild cards into whatever event he wants to play, but boy, would he love to not have to receive those, right? Wouldn't he love to get in and on his own ranking, be seated at these events to make life a little easier for himself? Because, of course, coming up next for Andy Murray is 15th seated Pablo Carreño Busta. That match has three hours written all over it. What a victory for Andy Murray, though, to kick off his Indian Wells campaign. Moves into eighth all-time on the men's side in Indian Wells victory. Shout-out to our friends at OptaAce on Twitter for that stat. And, I mean, listen to the company that Andy Murray keeps by joining this list. You look at now the eight winningest players here. Uh, obviously, ridiculous list of players. You've got uh, Roger Federer, Rafa, Djokovic, Agassi, Connors, Sampras, Hewitt is the surprising name, although he did play forever. And now Andy Murray joins that list. All Hall of Famers, eight for eight. No doubt about that. I mean, again, Andy Murray is the biggest storyline coming out of the day, but given our affinity for college tennis here at Cracked Rackets. How can I not mention all the first-round NCAA champion winners? Again, Mackie McDonald, 3-0. and He dominated Philip Krajinovic. And again, he's not going to strike you as a guy who blasts the ball because he doesn't have a 135-mile-per-hour serve. But if he has time, 
He drives his forehand as well as anyone out there. I've said it before. Other than Ray Sarmiento, it's the closest thing we have to Roger Federer in tennis. I guess the Dimitrov forehand from a technique perspective, but Mackie ain't far off. Go watch him serve. Go watch the forehand technique. I'm not saying it's as successful as Federer. I'm saying that's clearly the guy he modeled his game after. Uh, he was dominant in a straight set victory. A couple of former college All-Americans, Brandon Nakashima, win number two on the year. It's been a slow start for, I believe, the 21-year-old American. But uh, you look for Nakashima, straight set win over John Isner, third win for him over Isner in his career. That's a good start for the American. Although, of course, up next now he's got the gauntlet. That is Daniil Medvedev. Uh, again, going up and down the draw. I mentioned Marcos Giron, three and five win over a very much informed Alexander Kovacevic. Though Kovacevic was coming off of a challenger title, much different surface in Waco than it is at Indian Wells. And so a little bit of a schedule loss, no issue for Kova. That's a good win for Giron, no doubt about that. You know, those are the big college results. Some of the, oh, Ben Shelton. How could I forget Shelton? His kick serve on this surface, we projected it in our preview podcast for this event. Oh my God. Like, as advertised, 4-1 and one over Fodini. Clear your Saturday. You are watching Ben Shelton versus Taylor Fritz. That is the best match on the Saturday calendar, regardless of what happens anywhere else. I mean, again, other guys, popcorn names people want to know about. I would say Tenasi Kokonakis, straight set win. Jack Draper rocks. Uh, Swiss qualifier, talented youngster, former top junior in the world, Leandro Rieti. Uh, not uh, Rady, excuse me, not top junior, but top 10 junior in the world, Leandro Rady. Draper, the one and one Tim, looking more like a top 50 player with those sorts of results. Stan Wawrinka, notable player, three-set win over the former Illinois All-American Alexander Vukic. Uh, you had uh, Brandon Nakashima, excuse me, Emil Rusavori, straight-set win over Constant Lestien. I think the Rusavori matchup is going to be really interesting in round number two. He's got some weapons to throw RBA off of his rhythm I keep an eye on that match as a potential upset alert. But, you know, again, I think Diego Schwartzman snapping his losing streak. Boy, did he need his win over Federico Correa coming up next for Schwartzman. He is going to take on Casper uh, Rude, two guys who have struggled of late. Something's got to give on the slow, high-bouncing surface. Lechechka, a win as well on the day. Umber gets a win. But the last match we got to talk about, the GOAT. Ebing Wu, Wu Ebing, excuse me, who earns the three-set victory over Jaume Munar. You look for Ebing, 6-7, six, 6-love, seven, six 7-6 seven, six win over Munar. Wu now a ridiculous, ridiculous 47-9. and nine. He's won 84% of his matches over a 56-match sample size over the course of the last 52 weeks. Of course, it's his first win at a Masters 1000-level event. And, you know, with this victory, it's all free points for him. So, obviously, you look for him in the live rankings. Ebing Wu currently sitting now at number 63 in the live rankings. Another victory. He'll jump up to number 59, which will be one off his career high live ranking, 58. But, again, he's on the precipice of a new live ranking each and every week. And, you know, you look for him. Was broken twice in the match against... Again, one of the top, I would say, returners on a slow surface like this in Munar. And, you know, just had a four. He had the biggest weapon on the court, his forehand. When he wants to turn into that ball, drive it at, I don't want to say Mach 5 pace, but with serious depth, 
an action on that ball. He's capable of doing it, of hitting through the court at any moment. He follows the ball forward to the net so well, and that's where we get to our controversy is obviously match point, third set, Ebing Wu charges forward, hits a drop volley. You know, Munar's able to track it down, gets a nice flick cross court. Wu Ebing, the diving volley into the open court to win the point. Unfortunately, as he's hitting the ground, the racket leaves his hand, the racket hits the net. Now, technically, I will say, Munar had a very strong case. Racket's not allowed to hit the net. If it does, that's an obstruction, that's a violation of the rule, you lose the point. And technically, I don't think the volley had bounced a second time, though. There was no chance Munar was getting to it. It was technically still in play when Wu Bing's racket did graze the net. However, if you want my opinion, again, it was a rule violation. Munar has a case. You wish in a moment like that, not only do we have shot spot, but you wish we could go to video replay, as Ben Rothenberg suggested uh, on Twitter. That would be a moment where you feel like video replay, since we have it available, it would be able to clear things up. I think that is the solution to this moving forward. Hopefully, we get that implemented as soon as possible, because that does seem like a simple fix. Uh, But of course, in my opinion, do I think it violated the spirit of the game, that Wui Bing rule violation, his racket hitting the net? I don't, because I don't think there was any chance Munar was tracking that ball down. And had there been any look, had Munar even gotten his racket on that ball, then I think you have to have a strong case, because then again, the point is still actively in play. I think what the line judge, if you gave Uh, I forget who the chair umpire was, but I believe if you gave her truth serum, she would say, look, why did it not – why was I not paying attention to the racket hitting the net? Because the point was over. Wu Bing in making this spectacular diving volley, he put the volley in play. He got the ball back. He did enough to win the point, and I think that to me represented the spirit of the point, the spirit of the competition more than a racket running into the net that truthfully didn't obstruct any – or didn't have any sort of obstruction to the ultimate outcome of the point. That would be my nerdy take on everything that happened. Again, I get why Munar strongly has a case. And again, hopefully video replay does come as a solution or as an as a result, excuse me, of this outcome. But 47 and 9 is the story. Wooey Bing, the weapons he displayed, how well-rounded. Again, my Biggest description of his game is he's one shot better than you. Uh, you look for Ebing now. Uh, he will take on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. That matches athleticism. It's well-roundedness. It's chances for the spectacular. Again, that's a fun match to have on a side screen. I think there are more significant matches throughout the course of the day, but I think that's a fun one to have on the side screen, certainly, as well. And, you know, again, that's really my look at the round number one results uh, on the men's side. Again, plenty of fun second rounders in action, most notably Fritz Shelton. Put that on your calendar. Runa Mackey, I think, is going to be fun. Medvedev Nakashima could be fun. Rusevori RBA. Wooey Bing versus Davidovich Fokina. Rublev versus Lachetchka. Hello to that one. Lock in, folks. It's a really fun round two shaping right now with some matches still to go at Indian Wells. Murray PCB, of course, has to be included. On the women's side, I kind of love Stearns versus Andrescu. Maybe that's just me nerding out, but more mainstream. Haddad Maya Sinyakova, Samsonova Para, Lynette Radakanu. I mean, Vandrusova, Boshkova, I don't think I have to make a pitch for. Uh, Krechikova, Yastremska. 
Anisimova Naskova is your match of the round. Georgie Pagula, though, don't sleep on that one. Rogers Sakari, that's going to be really fun. Yeah, Indian Wells, center of attention for the next couple of weeks in the tennis world. And of course, we will cover it all as it unfolds here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, a f- of an editing job day in, day out. Doesn't just edit these podcasts, but again, SEC broadcast Thursday, Friday, ACC broadcast Friday, Sunday, those available on ESPN Plus, ACC, SEC Network Plus, Big Ten, of course, available on our YouTube channel each and every Sunday as well. A shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic super producer Daniel West stuff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.